Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. As always, I'm joined by Dom. Let's praise the sun, gentlemen. And once again, we have uh, at Topher Noons, a.k.a. Chris Noons, joining us. How's it going, Chris? Super excited. Just happy to be back on the I, podcast. I know. Last time you were on, I think, was the beginning of the year, before all of this debacle went down <laughs> with yeah, COVID-19. Yeah, now we're all trapped. It seems like... <laughs> ages ago that you were on right. when in reality it was maybe like a month and a half it just the way time yeah. is going now i have no perception of time anymore it's awful time's, time's going backwards but as of today i think we're moving forwards now with video games <laughs> oh no, i know there, there are there's of only recovering jesus there's only three days yesterday today and tomorrow <laughs> that's right. a good one yep it fits oh man it fits uh so yeah we're gonna be going through the rundown as usual we have two big topics we have uh, the Assassin's Creed Valhalla stuff to go through, as well as the numerous PlayStation rumors and reports that have been going on, uh, and maybe like an hour and a half before we were set to record, Xbox decided to announce something too, so quite a bit to go through. Uh, let's get to this rundown, though. So the first thing, just a neat little bit of news. Uh, if you're familiar with Netflix's Queer Eye show, largely popular... Uh, Bobby Burke, who's the house renovator of the show, they did this thing on Twitter this week where they had people submit their Animal Crossing houses, and he basically judged them and said, like, oh, what you could do this, you could do that. So I just wanted to mention that. I thought it was a really cool use of the Twitter account for Queer Eye uh, and, you know, kind of building a community bond with people who are playing Animal Crossing right now. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have anything to say about it. I just thought it was a really neat use of social media especially in this time where people want to connect, being able to have your house judged by somebody from Queer Eye seems like a really cool opportunity. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we'll move That's on. That's an interesting one. No, yeah. you know, I think it's super interesting. I mean, I know that uh, listening to Kind of Funny that uh, that Gary has had even Entertainment Weekly like talking about his Animal that Crossing cool. and like yeah. the fact that he's doing basically a Tonight Show, which I thought was pretty rad. Like it's a really cool, innovative way to get people together and have that kind of conversation and involve Animal Crossings. And the fact that he was able to pull it all together in like less than a weekend, I thought was a really cool thing. Yeah, just providing this uh, kind of set to do whatever you want with it and people are kind of running with it, which is really cool. Um, I know the Easy Allies guy, specifically Brandon Jones, is doing this thing where uh, once a week he's island hopping to community members' islands and kind of checking them out. So Animal Crossing, man, it's the game of... Of this quarantine sound like hotcakes people are playing it i love the social engagement just really cool to see uh something that isn't seeing a whole lot of social engagement uh at least positively is google stadia so here's the thing so google stadia decided to remove the word base from their free version so if you remember before there was google stadia pro and google stadia base right oh, so they've recently this. eliminated the word base from it it's just google stadia now is a free version uh, free is in the services. You still have to buy the games, right? The only way you get free games is through uh, Google Stadia Pro. And they recently had a connect where they didn't really show off anything too new. I think the only new games they showed were uh, really small indie games that kind of look like copies of other titles. There was one that was uh, kind of a copy of Moving Out, if you're familiar with that indie title, where you're using uh, you know movers to get furniture and move them to other places. And the big thing there was PUBG. They announced PUBG was free. The weird thing is if you go back and watch that, they never mentioned that the only way it's free is if you have Stadia Pro. 
they during the announcement they're like PUBG is free to play on Google Stadia, yada yada yada. Never mentioned that you have to have Pro to have it. Um, to that point though, they're offering two free months of Stadia Pro for new users. It just the whole problem with Google Stadia, and maybe you guys can let me know if you feel otherwise. Their whole problem is messaging. Like I, I just don't think they have very clear messaging for them having so many people involved in the product have ties formerly to other game studios and divisions with big companies involved in gaming. It seems like they still have trouble messaging themselves and making things clear. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if this, this point Google Stadia can recover considering we have new consoles on the way. xCloud has so much positive buzz, even though it's not even officially out because it, you know, smartly branded as beta. What do you guys think about Stadia, this Connect, and all of this weird mixed messaging they're having? Man, so I, I watched some of it, um, but you're right; it was it was it was kind of lame. <laughs> um, they don't have anything, you know, different and like better. They're not setting themselves apart from anybody, right? Because they have obviously certain things that hold them back, being streaming only. But they're not they're they've not shown anything that's like, well, we have these exclusive games that no one else has. Like, you know they don't they don't have that they only have some of the third party games that you can get everywhere else already so and not even a um, launch right they just announced fallen order is coming out this fall so it's going to be almost right. a year after release and i mean with the assassin's creed stuff we'll get into later we assume that well they'll have assassin's creed valhalla at launch which is once they can start to get to that place where they're getting games big third party games at launch you know in sync with the other platforms then that's going to be a big a, a big step for them but most important is they got to start getting some of their, you know, some exclusive stuff. Um, I think some of their announcements, I don't even remember because it, it was so, it seemed insignificant. They have like some first on Stadia things that they announced at this direct, um, but they were smaller games. So I, I think they know they need more of that. It's just, that's a hard thing to get, right? Like good exclusives are expensive or hard to develop yourself, right? But uh, I think they have, like, they have an opportunity come this fall with the new consoles because... If they can message it properly that, you know, you can get the same game that you would buy a Series X for on Stadia, but you don't need to buy the Series X. If they can message that properly and, and you know, put that on display, that that's our biggest benefit is you don't have to buy the console, right? But you get the, the same next-gen experience without having to buy a next-gen console. If they can figure out how to make that a selling point, then that's going to be a, a boost. But I it's kind of hard to see them getting that right at this point based on what they've said so far. Well, yeah, I think oh, their biggest sorry. messaging problem is the fact that they don't have a console, so they don't really know how to message it outside of the fact that you have to purchase something and then use it on a PC, and then your PC... If I'm going to do any of that stuff, I might as well just own an Xbox and be able to play Xbox anywhere and do the same exact thing but get first-party games that I really want that are day and date with the, when, with the purchase. So for Stadia, like you said... They're going to have to wait a year. Now we're talking almost a year and a half by the time everything's all said and done to get games that are actually day and date. And at that point, right. you've, you're have you already a year and a half behind. on, And then you're competing with that with new consoles. It's difficult. And they just don't have anything that stands out. They're kind of in Xbox's shoes, except Xbox has a console, and, and they're waiting for the studios to catch up. Stadia doesn't have any console, and they're still waiting for studios to catch up in order to make the games for their for their program. So it's just it's just a, a big mess, a big messaging mess. And the fact that right now they could be doing such a good job at messaging this with people staying in place, and they're not. I mean that yeah. that direct was a waste. Like to me, it was a waste. Like they didn't tell me anything more than I already knew. They just showed me a bunch of old games that are now coming to their system. 
And here's yeah. the thing too and, for b- both the next gen consoles, real quick. Uh, so if you're a PlayStation, you know, fan that's looking to buy the PS5, you know that the PS5 will be around in five years, and you can still have your games. You kind of don't know if Stadia is going to be around. Obviously, there's a lot of assumptions there. With Xbox, you have the same thing, as well as we already know that with xCloud, you're going to have access to your entire library you already own. You know what I mean? So that's already added value there from the jump, from day one. So, And it's a bummer, too, because having used a bunch of Stadia back when it was in the beta form, right? I, I mean, I played... 60 or more hours of uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey on Stadia while it was in beta. Didn't even have the name Stadia, right? And it was excellent. Like, not flawless, but, um, you know, sometimes the resolution would drop down and get it fuzzy for a few seconds. Pretty good for, like, controller lag. Like, pretty darn good. Way better than I would have ever, ever expected. Um, and then being able to switch between between laptops um, and that kind of thing was, like, fantastic. Super convenient. So like early on, I was pretty hyped on this because it felt like the technology was excellent. And then having also used PlayStation Now streaming and xCloud streaming, those are both like, to be to be blunt, and I usually don't talk like this, but they're kind of trash in comparison to the streaming quality. Um, and there's different, potentially different variables that were at play. Maybe when I was on using Stadia, my internet was in a better state. Um, I mean, it was the same speeds, but there could have been other things affecting it. But uh that's why I was excited about it early on. So it feels like they have a really, in, in my opinion, my experience, they have a really strong technological foundation to the streaming service and it works well. It's just, they're not, they don't have the right messaging, the right games, the right service structure, all that other stuff around it is just not hitting. And so it, that's what bums me out. It feels like a waste of their good technology, you know? Yeah. It's just so difficult to have people, especially gamers commit to, a platform that they don't have any loyalty to and they're not sure is around for the long haul. Especially we're currently in a time where pockets are going to get a lot tighter and they already have. And if you're asking somebody, do you want to buy Assassin's Creed Valhalla on Google Stadia for $60? Or do you want to buy it for the console you already own? It's a, I don't know. They're in a tough place and I don't, I think they're going to be the company that was the first one out of the gate, but they might not end up there at the end. I think they might not even exist when it's all said and done and you can see whatever PlayStation does in Xbox and maybe even Amazon come out and stabilize because guess what all these other companies are doing? They're watching Google Stadia fail and they're seeing what not to do. You know what I mean? That's tough that it, that is to say, but yeah, it's so weird. Um, yeah, the other thing I'm, the other thing I'm curious about is what do they message in two months? This is free for two months. So it, uh, during E3, which would be June, like what do they message now? Like it's free now. And then what are we going to message something where you have to pay in order to continue using the pro- product? Like what else new can they message? Like this two months would have been perfect to message again or like re up past that time. So people had at least a month or, you know, 30 days, 60 days to continue using it so they could see the product. But now if you message it right around E3, I don't know what new thing you message that would cause people to go Ooh. to your service. Uh, I, I have an answer, actually, if they can do it, because the, the other thing they're lacking, that they're not taking advantage of, you can only use Stadia on PCs uh, through a Chrome browser, right? Or Google phones. I don't even think other Android phones can use it. And certainly not iPhones, not iPads, right? Not, oh, in Google Chromecast, that's the other thing. They... If they can get this running on iPhones, I mean, that's a huge market that opens up, right? And iPads. And frankly, like, if it's possible, it might be tougher, but like Roku's smart TVs, you know what I mean? That's their that big would be rad. 
Yeah. yeah, their biggest advantage is you don't need the console, yet they're still not available on enough devices. And so like they're not taking full advantage of not needing the console. The thing that could hurt them, too, is if Xbox comes out and says, hey, for the next X amount of months, we're letting everybody into the xCloud preview program for free. And it's like, well, do you pay for yeah. this to try it out or do you get into this program for free? It's going to be really interesting. Uh, speaking of Xbox, this is more of a little update. Not, not much news here. <clears throat> but the people over at Double Fine, it's kind of been confirmed that they're working on a new AAA game for the Xbox Series X. This is really cool because what we kind of only knew about Double Fine is that they were finishing up work on Psychonauts 2. Uh, but they've hired former Naughty Dog senior game designer Edgar Newman uh, for the game. Uh, and this was all revealed via job posting that they had done on LinkedIn, where all the uh, job posting latest news breaks on the internet. So, really neat news there. I'm interested to see what Double Fine can do with the AAA budget. Um, because obviously they've worked in this weird double-A middle indie space for a long time. And, you know, I think Xbox trusts them. And I'm just curious if they, if it's going to be like the weirdest triple-A game we've seen since, you know, the last Remedy title, you know, Control or Alan Wake. Um, are, are either of you guys big Double Fine guys? No. Not, not really. Like their stuff is just too way, I don't know. Like the point-and-click stuff was, was interesting when they were doing the Kickstarter and then I just kind of went away from it. And then I played some stuff at uh, PAX, and it was just like, eh, like it was okay, but like, just it wasn't super interesting to me. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's you know, based on the confines of the budget they're working with, and you know, Psychonauts two looks like it's gonna be a blast for people who love Psychonauts, but for like somebody who doesn't have any attachment to the franchise, it's not pulling me in necessarily. I'll play it thanks to you know Xbox Game Pass and it releasing there for free, but. I'm more curious to see what a AAA game looks like from that studio because the one thing you can say about Double Fine is that they're not creative. They're very creative. Um, I just want to see what that creativity looks like with the, an actual budget behind it. Uh, next up, DICE, obviously the developers of the Battlefront games and Battlefield. Uh, they stated that the next content drop for Star Wars Battlefront 2 will be its last, um, which if you haven't been following that game ever since it's historically awful launch riddled with microtransactions through updates it's become a really stellar game that people love arguably the best star wars multiplayer experience we've had in a long time and they since the first battlefront too <laughs> exactly yeah since the first time it came out uh they also went ahead and confirmed that battlefield was coming in 2021 we kind of already knew this i think in early 2019 we had covered a story where this was all but confirmed that we're getting the next battlefield whether that's Battlefield TWO2, because, you know, they did the Battlefield 1 thing. Uh, who knows, but it's really interesting. The EA Star Wars deal ends in 2023, right? So if Battlefield's coming out next year, we assume that in 2022 or 2023, we're getting Jedi Fallen Order sequel, right? So do we assume that in that third year, the other year that Jedi is coming out, we get Star Wars Battlefront 3? Because I, we get this confirmation that it's, you know, done after so. this last update for the second one? <laughs> I hope so. My son's obsessed. Like, my son is currently still playing Battlefront 1, owns Battlefront 2. The Scarif stuff is awesome. But, like, he's into it with his friend, and he's kind of mad right now because there's a match where he can't get this elite gun because it doesn't exist anymore. And so, like, <laughs> he's still, like, finding glitches in the game, and it's it's a fun game. And the only thing that I'm concerned about is, like, what do you do for Battlefront 3? Because you've done yeah. everything in one and two. Like, you've done all of the movies. You've added all of these maps. 
unless you try to add a story that actually people care about versus the second one, which nobody cared. I mean, they piped it up, but nobody cared about Battlefront 2's like storyline. I didn't think that the Genorso stuff was it was that that great at all. Um, they'd have to do something like that, but like I, I I don't know what else to do unless you make it first person mode and try to make it more like of a Destiny type style and and maybe or either that That's or add a, say, add, yeah. add a battle royale, like do a battle royale style Star Wars. So they actually there is a first person. I mean. Anywhere in Battlefront 2, you can switch between first and third. Oh, can you? All right. I'm not very familiar. Like, he plays <laughs> yeah. all the time. Like, I only watch yeah. the Battlefront 1 stuff, but I didn't know that. Yeah, but, like, maybe maybe a Battle Royale, maybe that would be something that they could do. I, I mean, they got to try to think outside of the box because it's really difficult. Yeah, this is this was interesting because I, I would never have predicted this because their last bunch of updates have been big new characters, big new maps, and they've all been free. And they've all but removed, like, the loot boxes and microtransactions from this game. And the game has been on pretty much a permanent sale for the last like year or two now. You know, what I mean, at, at at most it's like thirty bucks, and usually it's at like twenty, fifteen bucks, even cheaper sometimes. So like, I don't know how they've been making money on it the past like year or two. Yet they've been producing awesome content for it. So maybe I don't know. It, it's it's just weird to me because it, it's hard to envision a Battlefront three right now because of a lot of what Chris was just saying, where it's like, well, what do you do next? You already covered all three trilogies um there seem to be there seems to be some kind of weird stance that like lucasfilm and disney have taken with them of like you can only use properties and characters from the theatrical releases because that was one thing like me and others are like ahsoka yeah exactly like where's ahsoka like come on and even in this latest update there's new skins and stuff but no ahsoka and they made it a in the blog post, I noticed they made it a point to say, we've brought so much stuff in from the theatrical releases of Star Wars. It's like, okay, obviously that's a line in the sand that you're not allowed to cross, even though you want to, you want to appeal to the fans. But yeah, so I don't know what they would do next. I assume there'd be like more paid DLC in the coming year or two, but I don't know anymore. This this was a big announcement. Like I wouldn't have predicted so the last content drop is going to be the last one. They after that launch, they couldn't charge for DLC and expect that game to thrive at all. You know what I mean? It was not going yeah. to happen. And yeah. with Battlefront Three, going off of what both of you guys said, I think what they have to do is they, to Chris's point, they have to feature a campaign that people are going to care about and sell people as to why this one's better than their last attempt at it. I think that they need to have alt- alternate game modes to have in there to justify a new release. So, like Chris said, a battle royale. You know, people love pot racing. That pot racing game that came out on Switch or whatever, uh, or PS4 or whatever that it came out on. One. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a new pot racing game by itself won't sell, and they can't justify that being its own standalone yeah. release. If you had a pot racing mode to Battlefield 3, that would be pretty cool. Um, I got another one. I think shifting Battlefront from being a shooter multiplayer Star Wars game to a suite of multiplayer modes for star wars i think that would be a cool way to do it where you're not just focused on the the action gunplay you're focused on other stuff too like pod racing or whatever the hell else i got i got one more idea so uh, however many years ago we had evolve was well kind of a flop but but now we have this predator hunting ground games game and we had the uh well, friday the cancel fable Earth. legends <laughs> oh the friday the 13th friday yeah. the 13th all the yeah, asymmetrical yeah. So, games yeah yeah Exactly. So what if, hear me out, EA and Dice, what if you had um, you and your four buddies are clones and you're hunting, you know, the one Jedi player and they're obviously more powerful as a Jedi and 
don't know. It's or four bounty like hunters. Get four bounty hunters yeah. and targeting one Jedi, right? Right, right. And you could either be a Jedi or maybe you can be like a highly skilled bounty hunter too. I doubt the four people, the one with more people, could be a Jedi because that's not fair. Uh, right, right. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Or maybe, yeah, the possibility there of like customizing, of like say you can customize your own droid, right, and you can upgrade parts on it that you earn through in-game mm -hmm. currency or whatever, mm -hmm. and you can have your own custom droid or custom bounty hunter. Everyone loves Star Wars bounty hunters because a lot of them are so cool and mysterious and uh, being able to make your own would be dope. But I think we're all in agreement that it can't just be Battlefront 2 again. It needs to have something drastically different enough to sell people on why a third one should exist, right? Um, Will they have enough time before the contract runs out? Yeah. I mean, if all this team is going towards battle uh, Battlefield, so you, you imagine the entire DICE team is it, like that team that was on Battlefront is now heading towards Battlefield. By that time, and they're finishing, I don't know if they'll have enough time before the contract runs out because they only have, what, three years left? And I'm not – well, DICE has multiple teams too, so I'm not sure, sure how their workflow is of, like, there's a primary and a secondary team, right? So the moment they launch Battle uh, Battlefront 2, the primary team moves off of that, so they're working on pre-production for the next game. The secondary sure. team is the update content team, right? So I don't know how that will flow because then the moment they release Battlefield, that gives them two and a half years to make Battlefront 3. Uh, the primary team, we assume, if th that's the case. Like we were saying, so 2020, we have nothing really Star Wars. 2021, Battlefield, which I don't know if... Do you think Jedi Fallen Order can get turned around in two years by Respawn? I don't know. I, so I doubt it. The, I wouldn't the think thing so. Of, the thing about it, too, is the contract is, is an exclusive contract, right? So, one, it could obviously be extended, right? <clears throat> yeah. Or, I mean, just because, say, Battlefront 3 is halfway done development and the exclusive contract expires like that i mean to me that's there's no reason they would stop development on that they could um, you know, it could still happen you know but it depends on how much they feel they tarnish that franchise period with the release of that game because disney probably doesn't care about how it's faring now to the niche audience who's still playing it they're like well we just had this you know this publicity stunt that went awry and to your point i think respawn will continue to be able to make star wars games because they nailed it I don't know mm -hmm. if Disney's going to allow these other studios that EA has to make them. You know what I mean? Because like you said, just because it's not exclusive doesn't mean EA can't continue making them. It's whether or not Disney allows these other uh, franchises to exist. We'll see. Who knows? That and the other thing that scares me is the amount of crunch that would be involved if these people were trying to get it done fast enough to get it under the contract time. If they knew that they weren't going to have a contract outside of whatever it was that they were working on and how fast they had to get it out in order to make that deadline. Yeah interesting stuff we'll see what happens there with ea and the star wars license it's it can go a lot of ways and we just don't know what direction it'll head uh next up nintendo has told partners that there will be no direct in june due to work from home hurdles uh and this is kind of due to a lot to the cultural clash of you know japanese work culture and them i mean as americans we weren't really necessarily ready for this type of thing but as a culture we were it was easier for us to adjust in what it seems like the Japanese culture has had. And a lot of people read this as like, oh, no, Nintendo's not doing anything. It just means they're not doing something around E3. The article and report actually went on to say that uh, if you're going to if they're going to do something, you can still expect one likely by end of summer. We're just not going to be getting that E3 replacement direct, um, which is tough for Nintendo because we're currently in a place where they don't have any other major releases for the year. Uh, and they don't have a new console coming out. So what exactly are they going to do? They're in a really weird spot. 
Um, all right. Come on now. Let's not act like all those remake remastered Mario games aren't major releases for it. For most, well, other they don't exist they yet. Be. Uh, yeah, I'm, well, I'm assuming it's real, but yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm like living in a world of Master Chief Collection. Like, if if you have a Mario <laughs> Master Chief Collection like version, like people would go bananas. Yeah, sure, and they can they can announce that at the end of summer, and it'd still be fine. They don't need the marketing lead up to that. I'm being harp- hyperbolic for you know news sake, and we have to do with do with do with what we have as current information. Those are still rumors and speculation, corroborated by a lot of sources and likely true. But as it sits down, they're not real. <laughs> we gotta set our expectations because if this stuff extends and all of that stuff with the ports and everything gets delayed to like next year they're not going to announce it obviously this year if it gets pushed mm-hmm. and then we're left disappointed you know so I mean, we'll see what happens mario st- if you think about the mario stuff too like it basically says that maybe nintendo didn't really have a whole lot for the fall anyway like mario exactly was it. and so like this is kind of a blessing it's like well we don't have to produce anything because we really didn't have anything so we'll just say it's because of coronavirus a lot of <laughs> things are because of coronavirus currently and so it's really nice for for teams to be able to say that and then get away with it as the excuse. Not saying that it is, but you know, it's it's yeah. nice that you know that they can use that. Exactly, like a safe padding for their announcements. Yeah, uh, yeah I think the only thing that's been talked about for Nintendo for the year period was the Nintendo, the Mario package stuff, and then a new Paper Mario game, right? That made the rounds as well. Yeah. So that's right. We'll see what comes to fruition. I don't think this is surprising to any of us. Um, I'm interested to see how late that happens because we also have the idea that this could they could do a direct at the end of May, right? Because it says that's not happening in June. Uh, obviously, it's being really optimistic, but it could be they don't only do directs for multiple games; they sometimes do single title directs. And if they want to get those Mario bundles out, they could do a mini direct announcing those. Like it doesn't need any pomp or circumstance, right? People are like, "Oh, they exist." Here's my wallet. So we'll for see what happens. For the love of God, just give me another Metro tease. Like that's, I just want another Metroid tease. Uh, remember, there was the rumor that they were set to release the Metroid Prime Trilogy remaster before they had a restart development on Metroid yep. Prime 4. That would be a nice buffer, too. If that's been in the can for a while to release that this fall, that could hold people over. Um, speaking of May events, Xbox, out of nowhere, maybe not out of nowhere because this has been a rumor for a while. The rumor was May 5th. Uh, Xbox has announced uh, an event for May 7th. I'm going to give you their actual tweet. They said, you want to see games for the Xbox Series X? We want to show you games for the Xbox Series X. Check out our first look next-gen gameplay from our global development partners within X- inside Xbox on Thursday, May 7th at 8 a.m. Pacific time. Now, really quick, people read this tweet and were like, hmm, development partners, global development partners. That's odd because they're specifically calling out a section of people they work with. They're not saying the future of Xbox or look what we have, yada, yada, yada. When I initially read it, I assumed, that oh, this is going to be focused on third-party stuff, right? And Aaron Greenberg kind of backed me up on this with his tweet. He quote-tweeted it. And by the way, he's basically the head marketing guy at Microsoft for Xbox, if you're unfamiliar. Uh, he put, so pumped to see our partners showing us a first look at Xbox Series X gameplay next week. Also know the Xbox Game Studios teams are hard at work on some big summer plans. More details soon. So there, he kind of confirms the assumptions, right? Xbox partners, third-party stuff, and we're going to see the Xbox Game Studios' internal stuff likely around their June event that's also been rumored. The last thing I wanted to mention before we get into this as a discussion, Ubisoft uh, followed up this and quote-tweeted it themselves, 
and said, we will be happy to reveal our first Assassin's Creed Valhalla gameplay trailer during the first look Xbox Series X gameplay on Inside Xbox. We'll get into Assassin's Creed Valhalla later, but it's cool to see that there's already one game confirmed that we're going to be seeing gameplay for. So for you guys, how do you feel in terms of this being a showcase of maybe all of the third party or at least some of the third party launch titles for the Xbox Series X and maybe not seeing any of the exclusive stuff? Are you cool with waiting for the big E3 event to see those? Yeah, I mean, though, it's coming, right? It's the same thing, like, even though we don't know, like, Sony is, like, being quiet, we know that the same, they're, that, that's coming, right? That day is coming where they're going to show off, like, games, too. So same thing here where, yeah, like the day that Microsoft, the days is probably multiple, uh, maybe one big banger at first to show off their first party stuff, but it's coming. All these new studios, like we're going to start to see what they've been doing eventually. It's going to happen. And it's going to be glorious, I hope, I assume when it does happen. But yeah, like let's wait a month or two or whatever. Like it's going to happen. I'm cool with however long it takes them to do what they need to do working from home. And it's tough. So yeah, for now. We'll see some more Assassin's Creed and whatever, you know, probably Call of Duty, whatever else, uh, third-party-wise, they got the show. Should be cool. Yeah, so. Chris, so to, to, to the point we were talking about earlier with, you know, wanting to get to play Assassin's Creed Valhalla and all that stuff, it those first-party games, a lot of those announcements aren't going to be at launch, right? It'll probably just be Halo Infinite and that other stuff is teases for the future. So wouldn't it be safe to say that this could be the more hype show because we could likely see most of the games featured in this be launch titles that we can get our hands on uh, by the end of the year? Yeah, I think so. It's just, it's such an odd opening for a brand new console to be showing other people's stuff. Like, to me it is. Like, I would think that if you were Xbox, you'd want to be showing off what you had. So I know they want to hold Halo close to the vest only because they want to show it off when they're actually giving the price. It'll soften the blow on when, it, where, when everybody sees exactly what it is and what it costs. And they still don't know when they're going to release it, so I'm sure that's why they're holding off on all of this information, whereas these third-party developers don't have an E3. So what they're trying to do is get their information out. It's like they, the gates are off. They don't have to hold tight to the E3 thing. It's like, okay, let's just start showing information because we've got games and we want to talk about them. I just think it's weird for Xbox to not want to show at least some first-party stuff when they say, oh, hey, we're going to be doing a presentation, and, and our first thing that we're going to show you is other people's things. Like yeah. to me, that's just that's just weird. It's a weird presentation for a brand new console and a brand new generation. That to me. But then again, we have Sony who's staying so quiet that it's like, <laughs> listen, you need you need to speak up soon. Like all the talk in the the magazine is great, but you need to show us stuff. Like we need to see things now. Yeah, I think it would be weirder. If PlayStation is doing this solely for the fact that Xbox had its unveiling at the Game Awards last year, right? Where we saw a tease at Hellblade. And we saw a tease at a bunch of other stuff. And then we had the thing in early February where content creators got to actually take apart the console itself, right? And put it back together and talk about the features coming to the console. So they have all this information out there already. And it's all about expectations too. So when they say it's going to be on an in inside Xbox, I think that sets a certain level of expectations for what they plan to deliver. On top of the fact that I do think they want the splash at that E3 thing of like bang, 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 because they can control the narrative there because as it sits currently, right, the only thing we have in June is the IGN Summer of Gaming, which we know some of the developer or publishers that'll be a part of that, and the rumored timeline for the PS5 event, which is looking at either end of May or beginning of June. So if Microsoft's able to come uh, come on and display their stuff after PlayStation, they can do the targeted 
you know, price uh, kind of jab that these console developers are known for doing on top of the fact that they can control the news post that moving into the console launch itself. I, optimistically, I think that we could see at least Halo Infinite, but the fact that they made it such a point, several people to focus on global partners, I don't think that's the case. What would be cool though, Elden Ring. Where the hell has that game been? That's a partner. That's a global partner, right? So where's Fable? Exactly. Uh, well, that one. At least we've seen yeah. Elden Ring. We know Elden yeah. Ring exists. Um, I just think that th this can be a lot more hype than people are expecting. And to your point, yeah, like why would you have your first event and not show your games? But then again, if you have strong enough, you know, they still might partnerships. Yeah, exactly. And Assassin's Creed has Xbox marketing. Cyberpunk has Xbox marketing. Like, if they can snag the marketing deals with all these major next gen launch games and everyone thinks that all of them because the average consumer can think that these games are exclusive to consoles i've seen it firsthand where people are like oh i didn't know that game was on the other console that i thought destiny is exclusive to ps4 yeah like that yeah sort of, exactly that sort of deal. Yep. um and so the other thing i think we'll we'll see and we'll we're just going to start to see more and probably at this event too is um Doom Eternal coming to Xbox Series X. Like, we've enhanced this, this, and this, right? Yeah. Uh, certainly, you mentioned uh, CD Projekt. Like, they're going to show off the Xbox Series X version of Cyberpunk at an event like this, right? So, I think we're going to see a lot of that. And then, you know, Division 2, even older stuff that, it, but it's going to be important to have a presence on the new consoles. I think we're going to see a bit of that where it's not quite as, quite as exciting as a new game, but it's still important. Um, kind of like pat padding is a bad way to say it but you know what i mean like that's going to fill out some of these events too is old games showing off their smart delivery upgrades you know kind and of for a marketing perspective too like if you're xbox and you aren't ready to divulge price but you know people are hungry for information this is a great way to like prop up and get your name back in the, the circle of things again especially since the last mention was playstation and the controller and all that other stuff you're back in the mix again hey, these games are transferable from P Xbox to Xbox Series X. Uh, you, your money is valuable to us. We understand that sort of thing. And if they're not ready to show what they have, at least this gets that out there and kind of softens the blow when they tell you it's going to cost you $5.99 or $6.99. You get to see the product before you actually get to, to know the cost. Well, and yeah, to the point earlier too with the marketing stuff, even if they don't snake marketing deals with certain games, people seeing it for the first time on Series X will start to associate those properties with that new console. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think it's a win-win all around. Um, it is odd and it is a little disappointing because we want to see the big, new, awesome stuff. But logistically, too, what we have to think about is the IGN Summer of Gaming thing seems like it's going to be part press conference, part like digital hands-on interview stuff. So I wonder if some of these third-party partners are like, well, because they talked to Microsoft and they probably already know when Microsoft's June thing is, right? They're looking at it. What if IGN Summer of Gaming thing takes place before? And they're like, well, we're going to have this like blowout interview thing. And we kind of want to don't take that away from you showing our game on your thing as well. So this is a nice like workaround of like, we'll work with you, Xbox. We'll deliver what we can show about the future of next gen for our game. But then we also want to be able to have this deep dive that happens before your other event, right? There could be some weird logistical stuff like that that we don't even know about because of Corona and where everything's lining in terms of events. 
Who knows? You're talking about that, and even in the Assassin's Creed thing, they didn't get very specific about the date. They were just like, hey, I mean, I know we're going to be talking about that next, but it's, you know, in holiday 2020. They don't want to talk about it because they don't know when Xbox and PS5 is coming out. They, they don't. So they were just like, okay, it's holiday 2025 until we get a date from them because we don't want to give a date and then have you all spend your money on PS4 when we want you to spend it on PS5 because we want you to be in the next gen. Yeah, or Microsoft already knows the date they're shooting for, and they're like, yeah, here's a date, but obviously you can't say anything because we sure, want that announcement. Sure. So uh, some other positive news for Microsoft as well, and Xbox specifically. Uh, their CEO, Satya Nadella, came out and shared some pretty astounding numbers for Xbox as a service. So it has Xbox Live has nearly 90 million monthly active users. Um, so to put that into perspective, so that's not necessarily individual subscribers that's monthly users so two people can share an xbox and both be considered xbox active users but the number itself is still really impressive um for comparison ps plus has 32 million subscribers so obviously a third but those are confirmed subscribers not just active users so it's really interesting there uh the second one xbox game pass and we'll get into all these after i name them all uh, has more than 10 million subscribers. As of October 30th, 2019, PS Now uh, reported 1 million subscribers to its service. Uh, so huge disparity gap there. And the last one, uh, Project xCloud has hundreds of thousands of active users in preview. That one's like cool. That's great for that. Not really as astonishing as the other two. Uh, the one I wanted to focus on real quick is Xbox Game Pass having more than 10 million subscribers. Now, I know some people are going to look at this and be like, well, of course, they give the service away for a dollar. Yes, for one to three months, and then people pay full price. You know what I mean? Uh, and if if everybody who was in it was paying the $10 monthly fee, which obviously isn't the case, it, the revenue uh, from it would be $1 billion. Uh, even then, uh, looking at that total of what it could be, it's still pretty crazy. Um, PS now only having a million subs in October, that number's probably gone up. I would say... I would figure with Corona and everything, it's probably near 2 million, making an assumption. But even then, to be one-fifth of Game Pass, it just shows the power of that service. We talk about all the time on this podcast how it's the best value in gaming. If I was a kid these days and I could pay 10 bucks to have access to hundreds of games, it would be awesome. Because I grew up, and I'm sure you guys were no different, Of I could maybe get one game every couple of months, maybe two games a year at that. So the value is insane. And... I think it's going to grow with Game Pass probably being included for free with the Xbox Series X via three-month membership or something, right? So what do these numbers mean to you guys, and are they as crazy as they sound on paper? Anyone? I, I would say so. I mean, if you look at the install base, like when you're looking at it, PlayStation has a 3-to-1 on Xbox on consoles, but then you have a 3-to-1 on Xbox Live. So what's what's more of a value the one-time purchase of the console or the continued value of the Xbox Live and the Game Pass service. If I was Xbox, that's why you're not panicking because you have that revenue stream coming in on the back end versus on the front end. And you know that when that back end catches up with the front end, all of a sudden you're just going to overtake, you know, as far as value is concerned, what PlayStation has to offer. So it doesn't really matter that they're losing out on the console sales because they have all the back end structure all set up to continue to take revenue for, for as long as, you know, Possible. I mean, they're adding brand new games. They just added Red Dead Redemption Two. It's like it's ridiculous the yeah. value that, that that it offers. Yeah, I think it it definitely highlights the uh, the the silliness. I just said silliness. The silliness of trying to 
isolate a single metric as being it's successful also who's say who's winning but yeah as, as being successful right because you know you can look at several other metrics that you know uh, like first party game sales or console sales where obviously it looks like it's in favor of sony but microsoft would smartly figure out well we can you know we can win some of this back a different way um and through this service which which they are right um and, and it gets tricky too because like ps now has you know less subscribers but they're selling they're making more money off of the sales of their first party games you know in place of a lot of that where like microsoft wouldn't be making as much money off their first party games but instead they're making a shit ton of money off game pass right so it's like this is this is a super impressive obviously but like it's it had to me it highlights like how all these numbers that like we've been focusing on like well there's so many ps4s sold and yada yada like it's you got to look at it like the grander picture if you to truly understand what's going on, I guess. But uh, that's a shit ton of Game Pass, though. So I'll say. It's also great yeah. marketing spin, too. Like, it's a it's nice spinning this into the next generation because they don't want to talk about yeah. consoles. They want to talk about this process and going into the next generation. It's, and it's this the is the shit. Yep, this is the big deal. Yeah. Well, and that's the crazy thing is, speaking of the numbers, imagine if next generation Xbox leads in console sales and in subscriber sales for their services. Right. That would be insane as well because mm-hmm. then it's like, all the numbers were winning, you know? <laughs> so uh, to the point too of like, you know, how much actual revenue of the, those 10 million subs generate, uh, I had mentioned the $1 people that get in, but we also have to factor in the people who pay for Game Pass Ultimate, which includes Xbox Live as well, right? So that's, I think, $15 a month. So there's an extra $5 there too. So it kind of nets out at the end of the day of everyone kind of paying regular price for it. So Yeah, and the, the last thing is uh, I've seen a lot of like, well, know microsoft is moving the goalposts like whatever but this isn't this isn't literally football there's not a specific set of rules except for like i guess laws but you you can move the goalposts and still it's called pr and marketing (laughs) yeah well i mean yeah if you if you aren't winning in one place then win in another and you can still win overall like you can move the goalposts that's allowed that's like that doesn't make what you're doing less important it doesn't make you less of a winner like you're still winning if you're winning right and to your goalpost point if if they decide that this outvalues the console sales eventually they could just say this this means way more to us than the consoles we're just going to go with this because the values we we put we pay less and get more value out of it so Mm -hmm. we're just going to go with this yeah, it's like me and Dom both had lemonade stands where we also sold chocolate bars, and Dom's, you know, celebrating that he so- he sells the most chocolate bars, and I'm like, well, dude, I have more people in my line buying lemonade than you have buying chocolate bars. I'm, you know what I mean? There's a trade off there. Just sure. don't focus on the chocolate bars. Focus on the lemonade if the lemonade is what you're good at. So. Plus, it's summer and everyone's chocolate is melting and it's a pain in the ass. And lemonade, you need lemonade when it's hot. <laughs> uh, so next up, we're gonna we've touched on Assassin's Creed Valhalla. A lot of stuff to go through here quite a lot so the way we're going to parse it out is i'm going to go through the information about the game about the game that has no, has nothing to do with the actual gameplay of the game first we'll talk about that and then we'll go into the details that Eurogamer got in terms of the actual gameplay and the systems and all of that okay so on april 29th out of nowhere ubisoft hosted a stream where famous fandom graphic designer boss logic who if you're not familiar get familiar does a, a lot of really cool photoshop stuff uh, he got really popular to the point like he works with Marvel and all these big movie studios now. It's really cool. So he worked on concept art. They said live. I'm assuming it was probably pre-recorded. Uh, 
and it revealed the setting for the next Assassin's Creed title. Obviously, to this point, there were rumors it was going to be called Ragnarok, and it was going to be focused on Vikings. That was partially true. Uh, so the game was revealed to be heavily Norse-influenced and be called Assassin's Creed Valhalla. A reveal trailer was posted the day we're recording this podcast, which is April 30th, the day later. Uh, Ubisoft Montreal stated on Twitter that the game was co-developed by 15 Ubisoft studios. Now, to put that into perspective, obviously Ubisoft has a lot of studios. Assassin's Creed Origins was made by 10 development studios, and Assassin's Creed Odyssey was made by 9. So, this is a leap ahead of those. Uh, 33% leap ahead of, you know, 10, 9, and now 15, which is pretty crazy. Uh, and also, another note here... Uh, the game is led by Ashraf Ismail, who's the creative director, and he was the creative director on Black Flag and AC Origins. So a pretty good track record there in terms of being the creative director in the AC series. Uh, I'm going to go through the trailer real quick, the cinematic trailer. So it's centered on a narrative that the Anglo-Saxons painted Vikings as barbarians, because obviously this game's being played from the Vikings perspective. Uh, the game will be taking place during the 9th century. It'll be at holiday 2020. And as I mentioned earlier, Xbox has the marketing rights and uses the Xbox Series X. And it is confirmed for next-gen consoles for both PS5 and Xbox Series X. And later, after the cinematic trailer dropped, it was confirmed to also be part of Xbox's smart delivery program, which already has Cyberpunk attached to it as well. So, with all of that news being said, I guess we'll start off with the cinematic trailer. How did it hit you, uh, Chris, when you watched it? It was graphic, man. Like it was, <laughs> it was graphic. Like I just showed it to my son because, like, he's into like all of the like Nora stuff, and he's twelve. So like, it was like when he was like, "Did he just throw an axe?" And I'm like, "Yes, he did." <laughs> it was awesome. It was like that was a tomahawk, man. That thing went, and it was just really, really cool. I was expecting only cinema. I wasn't expecting gameplay because that's Yubi's mo when it comes to the first display of any one of their games, and it hit like on all notes. The fact that it was four minutes was way longer than yeah, I anticipated. It was, it was yeah. really long, like almost to me, almost a little bit too long. Like some of the battle scene was a little bit too long, but man, it, it hit like a train. I was so excited because I played Odyssey. I I talked to you guys on the last uh, the last time I was on the cast, and I got through all of Odyssey and all of DLC. And I was never an Assassin's Creed person. That game blew me away. I'm pumped for this game. Yeah. Dom, where do you sit? As somebody who really enjoyed Odyssey, obviously all of us love Cassandra, all three of us. We stand Cassandra. How did the cinematic trailer hit? And because we already knew it was going to be Vikings, did it come off a little less? Were you a little less enthusiastic to the trailer? Because you kind of already knew what was going to happen in terms of theme? No, not quite. Because, I mean, we had heard, like, yeah, it's going to be norse and viking stuff but like i i couldn't escape hellblade and god of war in my head right yeah. so I, I, i'm thinking of that this uh while it's this similar setting it's different right like they're going into this this more political uh kind of thing and then some of the gameplay details that they let out um like yeah this very different thing um, even though it's the same setting like this is a whole other world and it, apparently even larger than odyssey uh, this is just an enormous rpg right um but uh yeah the trailer was or the yeah the cinematic was sweet it's like i, I don't care so much it's, these things are cool to watch but like don't mean that much to me you know because it's like oh, i want to see the gameplay right i want to see what actually is going on here which we will get obviously well to that but, point how do you feel that like less than an hour after this trailer dropped we got confirmation we're seeing it next thursday right we're seeing gameplay which is awesome because then the people like me who whine and bitch about like, well, but we didn't see gameplay, right? It's like, well, well, hang on. Just 
keep you know read the, the last line in the blog and or whatever and like a week away you'll you will so it's coming where is it you know this is a cool cinematic tone piece to give you an idea of the world and what we're trying to set up and i think this is as good of a way as you can reveal a game right the the boss logic thing was cool too i, I peeked in and out of that while i was going on it was long obviously but it was cool to see like somehow how that stuff gets made by that guy it was pretty interesting um but yeah then following that up with a dope cinematic trailer uh, violent like chris said and then uh being like yeah there's a the xbox thing next week and we're gonna show off this game and pre-orders are up let's let's valhalla this shit up guys so we're gonna go through some gameplay details now because there was a lot there's even a lot that i'm missing here i'll try to get as much uh, through as much as i can and then afterwards we'll talk about the stuff that excites us the most because it's a lot to parse through if i'm being honest it's quite a bit but it's all, mm-hmm. all of it's really exciting so these details come via Eurogamer's interview with lead producer Julian Laferre. He has a French name, so I'm trying to do as best as I can. Uh, Avor. So the name spelled E-I-V-O-R, and I thought it was Ivor. Turns out it's Avor. So I thought it was Eeyore. Eeyore. <laughs> uh, Avor is the protagonist. Uh, something that wasn't confirmed in the cinematic trailer but was afterwards is that you can be male or female, separate voice actors, the whole shebang. So unlike Odyssey where it's separate characters, it's the same character but you're choosing their sex. Uh, you can also customize beards, tattoos, and war paint. Sweet. Uh, gear and Viking longboat will also be customizable, uh, which yes. we kind of assumed. Uh, <laughs> this is one that is huge, and I know, Chris, we talked about before the show that we're not huge fans of the naval stuff. In Assassin's Creed, uh, so there's gonna there's gonna be no firing cannons, and naval battles have been dialed back for historical accuracy. Thank God. So obviously, Vikings weren't known for you know having these cannons on the sides of their ships and firing away. Uh, they're pretty much known for running up on on beaches and running onto land and taking what they could. So. I'm glad because I'm even more excited now that I don't have to worry about dumb naval battles where you have to, like you said, Chris, we have to swim underwater and hide yourself and ugh, do all this unnecessary garbage. Sure. Um, next up, village settlement hub. So this is going to be a place where decisions play out, a home for your comrades. Focus isn't on defogging the map, but rather the narrative centers on your settlement. Uh, center of your quests and decisions is the settlement big story arcs begin and end there as well as romances so instead of previous assassin's creed games where you're kind of hopping from city to city point to point this game is about you have your settlement you go out and do stuff and then you come back a lot of the stuff you're looting is for upgrades to improve your settlement and it's kind of the the narrative focus of the entire game which i like i don't know if you guys remember so the last two times we've had something like this was homestead and assassin's creed 3 uh, which wasn't that great. And then in a, one of the Ezio games, you had uh, that one like castle area that you kept going back to. Uh, sorry, it's been a while since I've played the Ezio trilogy. But I think two. I think, I think it was two, yeah. Uh, so the, the settlement thing isn't entirely new to the AC series, but I do like this focus on you know, having a place to be. I guess we can have a discussion here real quick before we get to the rest of it. The settlement idea seems really cool if they nail it like what do you guys think about this i guess dom we can start with you in terms of how you feel about it it reminded me a bit of fallout 4 where it's like yeah you have a settlement and you can build i don't think the building is gonna be quite like you know literal sims style building uh but more like more like uh bringing people in and doing stuff with people and that kind of thing but wit but fallout 4 the, the settlement stuff ended up being 
mostly pretty lame and it you didn't want it. most people didn't want to mess with it it was like something that kind of got in the way of the other cool stuff you wanted to do whereas where this and assassin's creed the way they described this i was much way more excited i was like that sounds cool in a new way uh you know something that that, that evolves this franchise a, a bit that it doesn't really need because it's evolved a lot the past two games right um but yeah it's, it sounds pretty cool how they described it uh with the settlement thing here so and the difference i'm, I'm excited the difference too with Fallout is that with Fallout you could choose your your settlement like it could be in a numerous location throughout the map, right? Bruh. And it wasn't really narrative focused entirely. Whereas this seems like it's going to be a set location on the map, uh, you know, and obviously story is going to be taking place there. And it's going to be prominent and important. So I, I like oh, the comparison, not, I, but it I, is different. I just hope it's not fetch questy. Like that's the problem. Like I don't want it to be like a person comes into the settlement, then you have to go on a fetch quest because the person came into the settlement. I don't want it to be red, like Red Dead Redemption where it feels useless. Like I'm basically just bringing stuff ba- stuff back and it means nothing. Like I need it to mean something. Like I'm bringing money in and you can physically see the the homestead getting bigger or you know more people yeah. are coming in or something where it's important versus like Red Dead just felt like it was a waste of my time. Like I, I wasn't putting money in the bucket because it didn't matter. Well, my hope is that, that was... it's partially sieve, right? Where like. You go and you raid all these settlements. You get X amount of gold, wood, iron, right? You come back and you have a menu of, okay, do I build a new stable so that way I have more soldiers? Do I build a new this so that I have more, like, houses so I have more settlers? Do I build an armory so I have better equipment? I hope it's like that where you're building stuff that will actually influence gameplay and it will have direct reflections on your relationships with those characters too. Like whereas the like style? Uh, like, that's the other one. Eric. I guess I'm 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 not familiar with any Kojima games, so I guess Kojima style, yeah. I would well, I was thinking about the 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 last version of Big Bo- with Boss had like had like the home base and we had, was adding into the bases and stuff like that. So that that's kind of where I was going with it. Okay, uh, the interesting thing too is they don't really talk about if you have to defend your settlement because if you're upgrading stuff, I wonder if there's going to come a point where depending on what you upgrade can influence what happens in the story. Right. So like if you don't upgrade an area where your romance is necessarily living, this is just an example. I wonder if they could potentially get killed in a raid that happens on you. Right. So your decisions of what you decide to upgrade and where you decide to upgrade can have drastic effects. So who knows? That's one thing. I think that should be a focus of the gameplay next week, because this is going to be one of the biggest selling points is selling the settlement to people and make sure it's not lame and make sure it's not fetch quest. Like show us what the return and reward is for, doing it right you were going to say something yeah i was kind of curious on why they didn't run two different storylines and why they're running the same storyline with the character they ran into issues when they did cassandra with uh that dlc where it became a big problem and they had to switch out some stuff so i'm curious if they decided to just go with one storyline because it was easier to stay with one storyline versus trying to split that storyline off yeah for sure i think that's probably it and it it creates just more work for them. And I think maybe they felt that that worked in justified. And if at the end of the day, Cassandra and Alexios had the same story, hopefully it was Cassandra's story. It wouldn't really have changed much. People wouldn't have been mad about just switching between the characters. Right. So who knows? Uh, where do we leave off? Oh, so the settlement affects alliances such as weddings to forge relationships with clans. So I don't know if you'll be able to have people get married in order to like build your army with other like smaller Viking clans. Uh, sounds really interesting. And oh, also cool. consequences from harsh choices you have to face, which we kind of touched on depending on maybe what you 
decide to upgrade or not upgrade. Uh, instead of exploring one territory, then moving on to another, you'll go on an adventure and then be encouraged to come back to your settlement. We touched on that. That was actually a direct quote from the director. And here are the last couple of de gameplay details for you guys. One, hunting, fishing, dice, and drinking games will be in the open world for you to partake in. There will be a traditional Norse flighting competitions, which they describe as Viking rap battles, which is a really weird... They're trying to sell that to the modern gaming audience. I, I doubt it's anything near an actual rap battle. Uh, Dual-wield almost any weapon. Super cool. Correct me if I'm wrong, you couldn't dual-wield in Odyssey, could you? Not that I know of. I don't think so. Because everything was like large one-handed weapons from what I remember. Yep. Or like large two-handed weapons. Yeah. The spear, the, those long axes. Yeah. Giant hammers. Oh, I'm thinking of Dark Souls. Yep. Dark Souls 2, I think. And, and this is this is a weird thing to bring up. But in that game, it was like literally any weapon. If you had two of them, you could dual-wield them. And it added... It was just really flexible and interesting how that happened. So that, uh, it was cool. And I don't think many other games did that. Um, so I'm excited to see how it looks in this one. Uh, I'm assuming there will be one uh, like two-handed weapons and then specific weapons you can get, right? Like certain types of axes and maybe like spears or something. I don't know. Yeah. And that was the – I'm going to stay on Dark Souls because who would I be if I didn't? But that was the cool thing about Dark Souls 2 was like the biggest greatsword. I mean your strength stat would have to be like through the roof. But you could – if you had two of them, you could dual wield them it probably wouldn't work like the physics of the <laughs> yeah. game would be really against you and it wouldn't it wouldn't work you know but it let you try it i guess i imagine the strength you'd have to have in order to do that um I... sorry uh next up uh this is one i like extra effort on enemy variety so in assassin's creed mm -hmm. odyssey when you do the big battles there was like three different enemy types <laughs> they're yep. all fighting each mm -hmm. other and it was literally copy and paste so this could be an added thing of they didn't have to do a secondary storyline, Chris, so they were able to focus on making more enemy variety, right? Sure. This is the yeah. cost benefit of removing things and how you decided to develop things in the process. Well, 15 studios, right? Yeah, right. One of the things I'm secretly hoping that goes on in this is if you were able to, like, marry people off and, and join other clans and other stuff, if they had, like, a version of a nemesis system where people remembered, like, having the conversations and then brought them back in, it would be so badass because that would make this RPG, like, legit like if you were in battles and you hit somebody they wouldn't want to marry that person because you were friends with them or something to that you know what i mean like i don't know well so the crazy was... thing is one thing i didn't mention is you're going to be able to create and the way they described it is very odd you're going to be able to create your own viking warrior that will go and like do quests and fighting with other players so like your guy could pop up in my game chris and fight alongside me and I don't know if he'll go back to your settlement and be like, yo, dude, I got this scar on my face from fighting in Jared's game or whatever, right? Um, I don't know how that's going to work, but they mentioned in it that we're going to be able to create a character outside of Eivor. And they're going to be uh, – what is it called in the racing games where you have your the AI that's your friends that's a driver? Oh, There's a name yeah, for I know it, what right? you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be that kind of thing, but in this game where – Dom's dude with like green hair and a beard is gonna be in my game fighting alongside me. There's a I'm better... assuming you can probably bring back loot then and back into your game off off of adventures. Well, I wonder if that's the thing, right? If you send him off and you're like return in ten hours, and then they come back and they have a random amount of loot depending on the type of mission you sent him on or yada yada yada, right? <gasps> okay. That'll be interesting. It's finally, you guys, it's finally here. It's happened. I'm glad. I didn't read. I didn't get this part of that gameplay description yet. What you just said, Jared, because. 
what this is? This is Dragon's Dogma, my friends. We are finally getting, I sound like Jordan, we're finally getting some of the f- cool, innovative features of that game in new games. And that, and that game was like a PS3 360 game. You created what they called a pawn, which is just a party member, right? And other people playing themselves could, uh, you know, bring your pawn into their game. And your pawn would, you could send a gift with them and they would bring with them like the knowledge of the quest you had been on and the enemies you had seen, that kind of thing. Um, that's what this is starting to sound like. Uh, and it, I think well, it's sweet. The cool thing too that I'm excited for, and this might just be a personal thing that I, I'm going to enjoy is sometimes in these games you get armor and you're set and you're like, okay, I'm just going to upgrade this armor. I don't need to get another one if I can upgrade this, right? Whereas a secondary character will allow you, allow you to experiment more and it's kind of like a second body you can just customize, right? You can have your main protagonist. You kind of want to fit the narrative and not look too crazy. And you can really go wild with what you decide your traveling you know, warrior is going to look like. That's one thing, too, that I hope maybe they show at the gameplay next Thursday, that system. Because that's a little unclear, too, how it works. Like you said, Chris, like, am I getting rewards for sending this dude out? Or is it just like a frivolous activity? Like, what's the point of me doing it and focusing on sure. it? Is there a reason there? We'll see. Uh, that's it for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Let's get into this PlayStation news and rumors. We're going to start off with this Horizon Zero Dawn stuff, and then we'll hop into uh, The Last of Us stuff, which is I want to preface this by saying we're not going to be talking about any specific spoilers, mentioning anything, yada, yada, yada. Completely spoiler-free. Just want to throw that out there so you don't have to worry. Uh, you can continue listening to the podcast. We're just going to talk about the news of the situation, not anything pertaining to it. Uh, so first up, Horizon Zero Dawn franchise plans. So Video Games Chronicles, Video Games Chronicles, multiple uh, has multiple sources telling them the following: One, Horizon Zero Dawn Two was initially planned for PS4, started dev shortly after the first release, but quickly ballooned in terms of scope to be on the PS5. Second, the sequel is said to have a gigantic scope with a larger world and more freedom. Third, we'll have a co-op feature. Unclear if integrated into main story or a side mode. And lastly, that co-op was supposed to have a game preview for the sequel that was in the works, set to release before, and then the progress carries over. Similar to the thing that happened with Metal Gear Solid Five, right? Where there was like that standalone release beforehand, and then oh, your yeah. progress carried over to the release of the full game. Here's the thing. This is going to be a conversation completely between Chris and Don because I've never played Horizon Zero Dawn. I have it on my PlayStation. It's in my backlog. So what do you guys think about these reports about the sequel with its scope and yada, yada, yada? Like, how do you feel about it uh, based on, you know, your experience of the first game? Yeah. I mean, hell yeah. Let's do yeah. it. Bigger? More? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was open world. It was open world, air quotes, sandbox. So like if they're going to make it open world, they need to make it open world. I, d- I mean, I don't want to hear the world o- open world and then still have it be a sandbox. Just, but the co-op part kind of, it's kind of weird to me. I, I would, uh, Aloy, like that story was a solo mission. Like I, like playing with somebody sounds like it'd be fun, but it sounds like more of a side thing, like as an extra thing, not like the, the main story. If I was playing with somebody else, I don't know if I would enjoy it quite as much. I kind of like the fact that it was very solemn and it was just like kind of you on your path. Unless they, they change something completely up in the story, I don't know if I would enjoy it if I had to play with somebody else. Maybe like a some kind of side mode, more uh, like a Monster Hunter game, where yeah, you got someone with you and you're specifically going out on a you know, non-main story related type thing to hunt some giant, I forget what they call the T-Rex looking robots in that game anymore. But you Speaking know of that, 
I have a question. With the sequel, do you think there's enough room there to create enough, like, new enemy variants of different types of, like, dinosaur robots? Or did they kind of expend a lot of that in the first one and you assume it's just going to be variations of the pre- previously existing forms? That's tricky. Um, it's been a few years now, but there I'm trying to remember. There was, like, plot reasons to yes. why the robots were dinosaur models, right? can't remember exactly what it was and i wouldn't want to spoil it anyway but yeah it's gonna be i think it's gonna be difficult but they could probably create some new plot stuff to justify they can make the dinosaurs or whatever it is more evolved so they think yeah versus kind of be robotic and they only do one thing they attack 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 they could actually think on their feet and maybe able to do something in that respect which would make the whole thing a lot more interesting so yeah. the leap would be an AI as opposed to actual visual differentiation between them. Yeah, I would think if you made the AI, if you made if you made those characters smarter, or, or like maybe be able to like I don't know like pin you, circle around you, like do things that were, weren't just like in a back and forth pattern or you know up and down pattern because they were very patternistic the way that they were set up. I think that that might make it more interesting. This and might have already happened thing. in the first game. Sorry, real quick. Do they get? Do some of them have like elemental? powers like some of them can like breathe fire because they have like a frame flamethrower in them or something um yeah all, yeah i mean but nothing Especially like in the dlc yeah 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 oh i didn't really get through the dlc so i, I yeah if, if that's if you're saying that there yeah hmm. uh, it was all one element in the dlc but yeah it was there um the frozen wildlands yeah 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 yeah, um, yeah. The, yeah the cool thing about that game though was like the plot uh it all made a lot of sense i'm struggling to remember it again but i know it ended on a cliffhanger was. It ended on a, yeah. it ended set up yep. for a second. Like there, I, I fully believe that when they were like, oh, we didn't really know it was going to be. Yeah. You knew it was going to be a trilogy because they set it up yeah. as like a cliffhanger. It was like Star oh, Wars. Yeah. It's like it ended right where like we know that there's another one's coming. So it's not a surprise that they were playing on a second one right up. The yeah. Rear. Yeah. The biggest complaint. No, they, sorry. Go ahead. Dom. There's yeah. There's definitely some like some constraints around how they create more enemies, like especially with how the plot works and stuff. Um, and it's harder for me to picture it and like think of what they might do, but they're creative folks, and I'm sure that they'll figure it out. The biggest critique I saw from the game was that it kind of had a little uncanny valley to it. Like, the eyes kind of seemed dead with a lot of characters. So I hope that's something that they're able to fix with the power of the PlayStation 5. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see. I'm going to get to it before the sequel comes out. So I'm crossing my fingers it's not a launch title, so I have enough time uh, to play it and beat it. Uh, we'll see. Uh, next up, so official PlayStation Magazine UK. Some hyperbole happened. So... Basically, it came out that the July issue, which the way magazines work, I know magazines, uh, <laughs> a, a dead a medium, uh, they release a month before they're dated, right? So the July issue comes out in June, so, so far and whatever. Uh, so the July issue basically has a thing on the front of the cover that says, uh, we're showing off the latest games coming to the PlayStation 5. So from that, people assumed, okay, well, if this July issue is coming out, then that means that the PlayStation event has to happen before this because how would they know about PS5 games if they haven't been announced yet, right? That was kind of the logic. So this whole Twitter thing went off, and you know how Twitter is, yada, yada, yada. So basically what happened, official PlayStation Magazine's July issue coming in June will feature PS5 titles. The internet took from this information that it confirms a June PS5 event. Official Mm -hmm. PlayStation Magazine responded, saying that people are getting carried away especially the ones with theories that the Meg was going to be revealing Horizon Zero Dawn 2. And they also stated that the PS5 title cover line isn't a reference to a PS5 event. So, 
Here's the weird thing about this. Though they state, yeah, it doesn't directly relate to a PS5 event, do you think they're going to run a story solely about Godfall? You know what I mean? Like, there is something to the assumption that we'll hear more information from Sony before this magazine comes out, or at least by the time it drops. But yeah, this hyperbole of like, oh, the magazine's revealing Horizon Zero Dawn 2. Like, where where did they get that from? It's the way the internet works, man. I'm glad that they came out and said something because this magazine could have just been like, yeah, let them build the hype. This will help us get more sales in the magazine or whatever. But they were like, no, we kind of want to, you know, simmer down these expectations because people are running wild. I don't know if there's anything there for us to talk about. I just thought that uh, it was nice to mention, you know, a company, uh, you know, putting out the fire that is internet hyperbole. Yeah. PS5, I don't think we have yeah. much. <laughs> uh, lastly, this is kind of the big news of the week. A two-parter. So, we're going to talk about the leaks first and then the good news afterwards. So, earlier this week, most of The Last of Us 2, part, most of The Last of Us Part 2 was leaked online. Videos and text, including major plot spoilers, the end of the game, uh, including the end of the game, spread across the internet. Unconfirmed or substantiated, unconfirmed, unconfirmed and unsubstantiated rumors have suggested it was the work of a disgruntled Naughty Dog employee over a pay discrepancy. Uh, the reason this is gaining traction is due to the recent reports of the developer having a toxic cr crunch culture that sours its workers. Obviously, none of that is confirmed. That's just total speculation uh, by people putting, you know, one thing to another. Yeah, uh, and I think, like, hot, or uh, not hot take, but, uh, did it, did it, like, fucking fresh news or whatever. Before we started, like, Jason Schreier pretty much debunked, like, the source of that one um, based on what he had heard or something. So, yeah. not to say isn't some truth to it, but that version of what was being told was not true. And there's probably the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? Cause Jason talked about, I saw the tweet he said, you know, people love working at naughty dog, but the crunch does get to them. Right. And the opposite end of that, like we talked about earlier with that guy going to double fine, they do see a lot of their developers leaving. Like a lot of them actually went to the initiative. Right. So Somewhere in the middle is the truth, right? <laughs> it's not this wonderful company where crunch is the only issue, and it's also not this, like, terrible place to work. The truth often lies in the middle. Um, yeah, the the for them believing it's a Naughty Dog employee, I doubt it was actually somebody who worked in Naughty Dog. I think the worst right. case is probably a contractor, right, or somebody who's part of quality assurance. Um, it had to be somebody who had access to the stuff because if they're able to leak a build of the game, essentially – they had to have some type of access or know somebody with access. So, The other thing I consider, too, because I'm going through this audit thing at work with uh, <clears throat> IT or whatever, but, like, an actual employee, you know, was working from home doing more of that than usual, and, like, you know, their 14-year-old son uh, hopped on the laptop or whatever and, you know, got slick and downloaded something or, you know what I mean, something like that. Or, or just a security uh, breach in general, right, because of the work from yeah, home stuff. Or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, everybody who works from home, their personal servers probably aren't that secure. And it depends on how much trust mm -hmm. Naughty Dog has in their individual employees, right? Of like, no, you need to have this in place, yada, yada, yada. Um, but there was some good news from all of this. I guess before we move on, did you have anything to say about the leak in particular, Chris? You didn't have a chance to chime in there. Yeah, I just, I felt like people jumped on Twitter immediately and were like bashing, you know, this is because of Naughty Dog and their crunch. And, you know, I all the rights to these mm. disgruntled employees and they, they felt for the disgruntled employee in the fact that there's crunch, but you know, nobody should be leaking this stuff. I think that people need to kind of calm down with jumping on news immediately when it posts 
and maybe stay, take a step back just bef- to find out all the facts yeah. first. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, it just really kind of blew up quickly. And I think it was people being angered that the information was given out like on a game that they were really anticipating. Yeah, and it's such a narrative-focused game, right? Where, like, mm-hmm. <coughs> the story is the game. So, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm dying. One second. I need to get a drink of water. <laughs> yeah, but to that, it, I, I think that people were just really angry that a story-heavy-based game had half, like, basically the ending and a lot of information leaked. I, to the point where on Twitter, I had to, like, block The Last of Us, Last of Us 2, Joel, Ellie, anything. I didn't want to, I don't want to know <clears throat> anything. So, and to the point, because we're talking about this, I'm not going to be looking at the comments for this video. So just to let you sure. know if you're out there listening yeah. on YouTube, I'm not going to look at the comments. I'm sorry. Just the way it works. Uh, I'm fortunate if I haven't had anything spoiled for me, thankfully. I'm hopefully you guys are the same. Same. Thank uh, God. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's a minefield out there. I think as the months go on, well, you know, the game comes out in a couple of months. It, they'll still be online, but it won't be as crazy as it was this first week, thankfully. And it'll be a lot easier to dodge. But it's it sucks, especially for a game like that. Because, you know, if Apex Legends leaked, it's like, yeah, that sucks for them and their announcement. It doesn't have all the hype, but, like, it's a multiplayer game. You know what I mean? It's whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas a game like this, it's like, it is its story. And I know some people have made the argument of The Last of Us is great because of the writing and the character interactions. And the story is just kind of like a vehicle to experience all that stuff. And though I partially agree with that, I do think that there's something to getting hit by something you never saw coming. And... It, it, it will take it away from people who know that, you know, it might not be a whole lot, but I do think you lose something in playing a narrative based game when you know stuff that happens. So I have a good comparison, a good analogy. Um, Cause the word <clears throat> spoiled is, it feels like all encompassing and the whole thing is rotten and no good, right? Like spoiled, like a spoiled fruit um, that like you can't even take a bite out of it anymore. The whole thing's fucked, right? That's not what spoiling the, even if you found the ending to this game, you could still get like, a shit ton of enjoyment out of it, right? The gameplay is probably going to be good, yada, yada, whatever other. Just particular story moments might not hit as hard when you know they're coming, right? But maybe it's better like like a banana where like part of it is bruised. You can still eat the rest. <laughs> yeah. It tastes good. But that one bruised part, you kind of throw it away and it's not as you missed out on that. But that's, you know. It's like when people get moldy bread and just tear off the gross parts and eat the rest. I'm like, it's not well, a risk. Don't I'm do that. Take. No, it's not a risk I'm willing to take. But if you want <laughs> no. to do that, you can. <laughs> I like my stuff non-spoiled or at all. Drinking uh, milk on the exact date. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's get into the good news. Because there is some good news. A couple of days after the leaks reached a fever pitch, by coincidence or necessity, this is just my interjection there, uh, PlayStation announced The Last of Us Part Two would be releasing on June 19th. And you're wondering, oh, wow, wasn't Ghost of Tsushima supposed to come out in June? That got bumped to July 27th, a month later. This announcement came weeks after Sony pointed towards uncertainty with the retail shipping processes, among other things, for the indefinite delay. That's where I want the conversation to sit. Uh, I want to get to the, them, the those two releases being so close together in terms of how that relates to PS5. But first, I want to tackle PlayStation delayed this game. They talked about how the retail infrastructure is so weird right now that they couldn't really ship this game out and have it sell the way they wanted to is what they insinuated, right? Get this everywhere they wanted. It's tough for me, and this is just me speaking, to believe that that stuff cleared up enough for them to fully dive into this. I'm not saying that I think the leak 100% contributed to them moving up the release date or landing a release date, but I don't think it played a 0% factor in the whole thing. I think this was a culmination of different things of like, how confident are we in the retail infrastructure? 
man, it would suck to have this game come out as late as possible with the fact that everything's leaking right now. I think it was a lot of things coming together. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if they knew the leaks were going to happen before they actually happened. Because if they did have a security breach, they could see that on their end and be like, well, hopefully this doesn't happen, but brace yourselves for a possible leak, you know? We don't know that. So, I don't know. What do you guys feel about them having this date come so quickly after the fact that it was delayed indefinitely for it to release a month later? Well, yeah, because it was probably a... They probably had different dates in mind and projections and estimates, and depending on how their supply chain, you know, they can see all that, right? And uh, they didn't want to say a date and for something to change. Like, it was just a little unsure, I assume, when they said indefinite, right? Which is why they probably put that on. Um, it feels weird because, yeah, indefinite sounds like it should have been longer, but probably they, they always hoped that it would only be an extra month or two or whatever. Um, so I don't think it's... I don't know. It's not that weird, I guess. Because um, certain parts of the world, I mean, we're starting to, to get back to normal. I say that slowly and hesitantly. But as far as shipping stuff, I mean, yeah, we're not exactly going to theme parks, but some stuff is coming back to normal, right? Uh, yeah. Well, Chris, to this, don't you think there's something to the fact that this game has had release date mismanagement before COVID even happened? Uh, I was just going to say that. I think, yeah. the word indefinite, I think the word indefinite was more of like, hey, we can't bump this again to bump it again. Yeah. So <laughs> rather than do that, let's use the word indefinite. And then even if we bump it up two weeks, is what, which is what they did, if I, the, the people that are the losers out of this are sucker punch. It's like, geez, man, like you're really <laughs> yeah. going to move to Ghost of Tsushima now? And now like we have to go on the heels of The Last of Us. We know people are going to spend money on that game. So the money that was going to be used in that month, like you just said, Jared, two maybe two games a year, right? Like people purchase, so two, three games a year, and on top of a, in a, in a console year, Ghost yeah. of Tsushima is going to end up going out to die. It's going to end up being days gone. Where like a year from now, everybody's going to be like, oh, remember that game? I should probably play that. So well, I, I just feel like it's it's not going to get the love that it deserves. Well, in the conversation to that as well is like, for them to only have them separated by month. As much as PlayStation loves their exclusives and loves to have them breathe, it it makes me wonder about why they're so focused on making sure these games are out months before the assumed release of the PlayStation 5. Like, I wonder if they want a clear delineation between the two, right? Because the closer those games are released to the next-gen console, maybe the assumption is, is that they get upgrades or some weird thing and then there's the whole conversation about ps4 backwards compatibility i don't know just with them two releasing so close together it's telling me like yo playstation wants a clear divide between this is the last ps4 game this is ps5 right they want it as far apart as possible i don't know i think that's probably playing into it but I, I picture it more like they're both done as shit right and you can't hold on like the cost of holding on to something when it's done with investors like, too the, yeah the money you're not making when you're holding on to something like usually games like are being pushed to the limit and getting them out as soon as possible before they're done. Right. So like holding on to something, the money, all the money you'd be sacrificing making from, you know, in one month that you're delaying ghosts, uh, like maybe there's like 10% less sales because it's now on the heels. It's closer to the last of us. Right. But they value having a, two months more of sales that they wouldn't otherwise if they delayed it farther out. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, you can't like hold on to shit. Like that's not smart. Cause like you want money now is worth more than money later. Right. You can't just hold on to something. But they to that point, also, go ahead. sorry, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say that might've been holding on to the last of us for the fall in case PS five didn't come out. 
if they have an idea that it's probably going to make shipment date, then they decided to just release it as opposed to hold on to it because they needed something for the fall. Yeah, that's true. They could have said indefinite because, yo, if we have to push PS5, we can move this to fall and we're good financially, right? So that yep. is a good point as well. Of, oh, no, we're good with PS5. We can put this where we want to put it. The tough thing with the release date stuff is I agree with you, Dom, is the longer they hold something, that's money they're not making. But there was all of those talks about how when Last of Us was initially reported to be coming out, Ghost of Tsushima got pushed when it was delayed again, you know? So it's like, well, how many times internally has Ghost of Tsushima been delayed that we didn't know about, right? So, sure. yeah, it's it's just the way PlayStation treats their exclusives for two of them to release within a month of each other is not in character for PlayStation. Obviously, this whole year is not going to be in character for people, but it is odd because they like their exclusives to breathe. And like what Chris said, they know that, they're, that Ghost of Tsushima is going to lose out on sales releasing a month after their most anticipated game probably of the generation you know so yeah it's just a yeah. shame because sucker punch has already like fallen victim to that prior when they had to like release a game like right after i mean that they they took a big hit early on their first game and now they're going to take a big hit on their last game in this gen and it just really i, I feel bad for them because i i just watching the gameplay of ghosts it looks like a game i would like to play well, and them calling it out as a PS4 game so early, too, made it so they couldn't release it on PS5 right away. Like, if we didn't know Ghost of Tsushima was necessarily a PS4 game, it would have been really smart by Sony to, like, push it to be a PS5 launch title, right? And they wouldn't have the expectations of, like, no, you promised me this on my PS4. I'm not going to buy a PS5 to play it, you know? So... We'll see what happens. Iron Man VR still floating <laughs> in the space that is no release date. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, that VR games need to be demoed. People are not going to be wanting to put on a VR headset for quite some time to try it out. So we'll see where that one lines up. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much get, it for this. You can week. get quests for like a dime now. Like quests are everywhere. Like have you ever, the <laughs> Oculus Quest? Like you can get them in. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Uh, I, now I need room for an actual VR set though. Uh, um, that's it for this week's show in terms of news, in terms of what we've been playing. I'll go first because I don't have much to say. Still making my way through Final Fantasy VII Remake. I think I'm on chapter 13 of, I think there's 18 total. So enjoying that. Uh, like I said last week, I kind of want to talk with Dom about it when we're finished with the game. Um, and I'm also playing Animal Crossing. Uh, committed to that game. Love that game so much. Working on my island uh, day by day, step by step, making my way through. Uh, yeah, just enjoying my time with that. I, I play the game like maybe an hour, an hour and a half a day, and it's totally my decompress game. Like, I just start playing Animal Crossing, and it just chill, and it relaxes me, and it's, you know, n low stakes, good vibes, all of that stuff, except for Tom Nook, you know. But <laughs> that's that. Uh, nothing else of note for me uh, for this week. Dom, what did you play? Uh, just more Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's a... Uh... I mean, I played a bunch more, and last week I said the story wasn't really getting me yet. I was excited about getting more into the combat, and that's still and that's been getting more fun. I thanks to some of your tips last week, um, I, I've been doing better, and it's been the combat's been getting more engaging and interesting. But like the characters in the story still aren't like pulling me in. Like I have, it's been a couple days since I've touched it, and I've been working a lot more. But at the same time, I've not been like feeling like I need to get back to it. I don't know. It's just it's fine it's good at this point uh, i'm gonna keep playing it and maybe that'll change you know as i get farther along i think like you mentioned there's a certain point a couple more chapters in. i'm probably still not at yet where it starts to take off but 
Which I'm just kind of like. I, so I just like properly met Aerith. Aerith? What's her name? With the flowers? Aerith. Well, she's yeah. Aerith and Aerith, but they change her name permanently to one of the two in the remake, and people are mad about it. Okay. Um, that explains yeah. my confusion then. But yeah, I just like properly met her, and I we were just walking along and doing some things. And yeah, I don't know. There was like a twist, I guess, before that. And like, all right, I saw that coming three hours before it happened. I don't know. <laughs> it's, I gotta. I I don't want to say too much. I don't want to be too down on it because I get it farther along to get a more informed opinion. But so far, I'm like, yeah, it's it's fine. It's good. So thumbs up on combat, thumbs down on narrative for you so far. Yeah, it's it's just thumbs middle. Like I don't know. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, but with that being, yeah, with that being said, Chris, what do you have, what have you been playing? Well, I played the Final Fantasy remake demo, uh, and just could not get into it. Like I finished it, and I was like, "Wow, that was great." I'm not buying this game. Like it just wasn't. It did not pull me in at all. After I like, I tried, and I'm just not a fan of Final Fantasy type person. Um, I started Disco Elysium. Uh, got in about two hours into the game. And it's really great. It's just super boring. Like, I mean, like, it's one of those games where, like, I, I feel like if I had more energy while I was playing it, I might be a little bit more interested, but, it, like, just wasn't scratching the itch that I was looking for. And then I went back to Days Gone, and, like, I looked at my save, and it was from May of 2019. And I'm like, okay, I guess I Jesus. haven't touched this game. So um, so I literally started from scratch, and I'm, like, about eight hours in now. And I'm like, yep, stealth, zombie apocalypse. It kind of feels like COVID right now, so I'm in. <laughs> and, like, like it really kind of it fits where I'm at right now, and I'm, in, I'm digging it. The only thing I can't stand is that scroll wheel sucks it is bad like it is a, such a bad game mechanic on that game that like you have to like the wheel on it you have to like click up in order to use different weapons i know there's a quick wheel but like it just doesn't oh. it just constantly does this like it's extended yeah. and extended and extended it's like you have to slow down time and they're attacking you while you're in the midst of that pause screen so you don't want to be in it too long it really is just terrible. It's terribly done. Like, if they could fix it to, like, maybe how The Witcher was, because The Witcher was a little bit more, it was a little bit quicker, like, a, a quicker screen, it might make the gameplay a little bit more interesting. But the game itself, I'm really digging. I forgot all about that, because, so I had get, just gotten done uh, platinum, platinum Days Gone. I think it, it took me almost 60 hours. Uh, oh, like wow. A month or two ago, you know? But I was really into it. I loved it. But, yeah, I forgot. I don't know how I never mentioned that weapon choice with a scroll wheel is such shit i forgot it is so bad so jared it's like normally you know you hit your pause menu and you got a wheel and you pick a gun right yeah or whatever and this so this has like a second level where you hold you go in a direction and then that opens up a second level wheel basically and you have to hit r1 and r2 in that second wheel yeah. in order to either upgrade something or to like fix it or bandage yourself and it's like I, I you gotta you have to have that claw hand while you're like trying to do that and zombies it's are all finicky. chasing at the same time yeah it'll yeah. pop you back down to the first level when you don't want it it is like like the low tier of ui design i've ever seen actually i forgot all about that yeah uh i'm really happy that game <laughs> demos are coming back because it it helped all three of us in a sense so the me and dom played the demo it sold us on the game when we bought it right chris for you, mm -hmm. you played the game Fantasy. and you were like, no, this is definitely for Final Fantasy VII Remake. And you're like, yep. oh, I played it. It's definitely not for me. So the demo worked. <laughs> it sold us on it and it made sure you made sure you didn't make a poor purchasing decision of a game you weren't going to like. I just like True. the demos are returning because they serve a really strong purpose. Mm -hmm. So Reminds me awesome. of the 360 days. Yeah, right. Uh, that's it for this week's show. 
Uh, thank you guys for listening. Before I get into the whole rigmarole at the end, Chris, can you please let the people know where to find you on the internet? Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at Topher Nunes, T-O-P-H-E-R-N-U-N-E-S. Awesome. Yeah, go follow him. Good follow. Yankees fan? Giants uh, fan? Huge, huge Yankees fan. Huge Giants <laughs> fan. Unapologetic yeah, so- about you both. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so if you guys can, go over to Twitter and follow us, at Jared underscore for me, at Dom's Oreos for Dom. Collectively, we are at CTRLINT, that's Controlled Interests Abbreviated. If you head on over to iTunes, leave us a review, it helps us out on the algorithm there. On YouTube, search Controlled Interests, we pop up, subscribe, hit the bell notification because the sub box is on YouTube, you just can't trust them. And uh, we're on Spotify, which is really cool, took a while to get approved, but I'm glad we're on there. Love Spotify. It's where I listen personally to my podcast. So anytime somebody finally moves on over, it's great. And what am I missing? I think that's everything. We'll catch you guys next week where we'll be talking about the Xbox Series X inside Xbox Assassin's Creed Valhalla event. (laughs) All those words. So, yeah, thank you again, Chris, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Love having you on. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And we'll see you guys next time.